you will notice that today we are going on a journey with Garth and Michelle. And the reason I'm doing this is because I, I shared with the elders that we've been here a couple of weeks now, and for still some of you know absolutely nothing about us other than we follow the crows. And so what I thought I would do is um, share a testimony with you on our life and our journey. And um, whenever I am writing about my life and my journey, as I said, coming here, people would say, why on earth, even the pastoral search committee said, the last question I have for you is, why on earth would you leave Queensland to move to Melbourne? And I said, because God done something very significant in my life. And they said, what is that? And I said, well, one day in church, I will share it. Today is that day. I became a Christian uh, in high school, thanks to a school teacher. And um, doing that was quite big for me and my family because I was heavily involved in tennis. And um, once I became a Christian, I realised if this God thing that this school teacher was telling me about demands my all, then my all means my all when I had to give up tennis. And doing that wasn't, didn't go down too well with some people. And I eventually ended up leaving Broken Hill, which is a small country town, it wasn't small in those days, in, uh, in New South Wales. And I moved to Adelaide to live with my mother. I was, as I said, I think I was about 13 or 14. I looked around for a church in Adelaide, but I, I never found one. And so sadly, as you know, if you stop going to church, it's quite easy to continue to stop going to church. It wasn't until I was 19 years of age, and by this time I'd taken up a job as an apprentice butcher for Coles Supermarkets. And a friend of mine from Broken Hill rang me up and said, oh, Garth, I'm coming to Adelaide to live. I'm looking at moving to Adelaide to live. Can I come and live with you and stay with you till I find a house? And I said, yeah, sure, come over. And so she came over and, um, and she said to me on the Saturday, oh, Garth, tomorrow morning I'm going to church. Do you want to come to church? And I said, oh, look, no. I said, Sunday mornings are sleeping, number one. And, um, you know, I said, I don't do that church stuff anymore. I said, however, Kylie, look, if it's good in the morning, they have a night service, I promise you I'll go with you then. And so anyway, Kylie gets up and goes to church and she got an invite to lunch and she came back in the afternoon and she said, oh, Garth, it was great. It was awesome church. There was plenty of young people and this, that and the other. And I thought, well, you know, man of my word, I better keep to my promise. So I went to church with her that night and the pastor, actually it was a youth pastor, he spoke and he said, he believed there was someone sitting in the congregation that knew God's love in the past, but you've left. You've just given up. You're not really doing anything. You're kind of living your own life. And he said, God wants you back because God has plans for you. God wants you back. And my heartstrings started to tug a little bit. And so I went home and whatever happens is when God tugs at your heart, you need to put a stop to that, don't you? So I thought, right, let's put a stop to it. And I kid you not, this is, I got on my knees beside my bed and I said, God, I feel that, you know, you are calling me back to you. If you are, this is what you are to do. Number one, you are to get me out of Coles at Glenelg. At that time, I worked at Coles Supermarkets in Glenelg. For those of you that don't know, beautiful suburb, beautiful beachside suburb. The thing with Coles at Glenelg was whenever Coles wanted to try something new, they would introduce it at Glenelg to see if it would work. Massive store. We had 30 checkouts in that building. So I said, 
I can't be a Christian there. Why? I don't know why. But I said, I can't. But what you are to do, God, is you are to get me to Coles at Plimpton. This is Plimpton. That's the car park full, by the way. Plimpton was this daggy little coal store that they'd been trying to get rid of for years. It was on the corner of Anzac Highway and Marion Road, if any of you know Adelaide. And I said, you're to get me there. Now, the reason I said that is because I knew there were two butchers in that place. One had been there 19 years and one had been there 21. So I prayed that prayer and then I went to bed. And to believe it or not, I didn't really think much more about it. And I was at my um, coals at Glenelg on Wednesday and my store manager walked in and he said, oh, Garth, you're at trade school for the next two weeks, aren't you? I said, yeah, off for my annual holiday to trade school. I said, don't worry, you'll be blessed with my presence after that when I come back. And he said, no, we won't. Head office just rang, you've got to transfer to Plimpton. <laughs> and I started to cry. And my store manager just looked at me, I won't swear, but he said, oh, look, Garth, I know it's a terrible, crappy shop, but, you know, you'll be all right. But, you know, I'm not going to cry because these tears are being safer when the Crows win the grand final. But it was that time I realised not only God loved me, he wanted me. Do you realise that? Have you ever got to that point where you know God wanted you? He was a, a guy, I don't know whether I prayed with the right attitude or not, but God did this. That was significant. And it was at that point... I realised that this God that I learned about in high school wanted me. He wanted me. And I went home again and I got on my knees and I prayed, God, thank you so much for doing that. I will follow you wherever you want me to go. From this day forward, I'm yours. I will follow you wherever you want me to go. And when I prayed that prayer, I was thinking I'd go to any coal store wherever it had two checkouts or 42 checkouts. I'd go interstate. I didn't care. I would follow God wherever he called me. Little did I know what promise or that prayer involved. To share a bit about that, Michelle is going to come up and share her journey. Uh, good morning, everyone. Well, our journey together began in Adelaide uh, 30 years ago in 1992. I was working as an at an insurance company and as Garth just mentioned, he was a butcher for coal supermarkets. When we married, I assumed this was how it was going to be for the rest of our lives. Boy, was I wrong. Two years into our marriage, I was seven months pregnant with our first daughter, Samantha. When Garth shared with me that he had um, heard God calling him to Bible college. My immediate response was to say, go for it. You can't say no to God. But the reality of the situation was, if he was to go to Bible college, then within a couple of months, uh, we would go from two incomes with no kids to half an income with a baby on the way. It seemed a very daunting and desperate situation, yet God blessed us abundantly with his provision. I remember one particular time when I just started my maternity leave and Garth rang to say that our fortnightly mortgage payment was due to be deducted from our account. 
but there wasn't enough money in there to cover it. My immediate response was to say, just pray about it. God will help us. God des uh, Garth <laughs> desperately replied, no, Michelle, we don't have any enough money. I reassured Garth I would still pray about it, and an hour later, I received a phone call. It was my employer to say that the company had made a substantial profit for the last financial year, and each employee was to receive two weeks' wages as a reward for their efforts. Praise God, he had blessed us abundantly with his provision. Two and a half years passed. I'd given birth to our second daughter, Zoe, and Garth had been searching for the next step to take once he had finished Bible college. He sought the wise counsel of our church pastor who suggested a ministry through camping. He put Garth in touch with a campsite called Wirraway. School students would come to Wirraway for two and a half days, participate in outdoor activities like horse riding, high ropes courses and trampolining. There was also rock climbing wall, flying fox and plenty of other fun activities. But what was unique about Wirraway was it had a compulsory Christian program as part of every camp. And as I said, it was very unique for South Australia because no religion was allowed to be taught in schools. So there wasn't even RE or RI. Yet at Wirraway, campers had opportunity to listen to the gospel through the short talks and interaction with the Christian staff employed there. Now, as good as all this sounds, I remember when Garth got back from his week's work experience. He made this comment, it's nothing but a glorified babysitting service. However, the boss challenged Garth and asked him to volunteer more of his time by being a leader on a school holiday camp. Garth was reluctant but thought he'd do it and that would be the end of it. Boy, was he wrong. I remember he came back from that camp with a completely different outlook. Being involved in this holiday, he realised this wasn't a babysitting service. He saw how God worked in this place to make the gospel message heard. Garth kept um, going back, volunteering his time at Wirraway, and at times I went with him. We both loved and enjoyed the place very much. Yet there was always a hint of sadness. As much as we both enjoyed it there and Garth was able to use his skills and abilities there, there wasn't a vacancy for a family and it didn't seem like um, that there was ever going to be one for quite a while. They had a family there on staff and they'd been there for many years and they didn't even look like they were going to leave. Boy, were we wrong. <laughs> Circumstances changed. The staff family left just out of the blue and it wasn't long. We were packing our possessions and moving to a country, a cottage in the country. 
Living in the country had always been my heart's desire, even since I was a child, and now it was all starting to happen. It seemed too good to be true. Garth had a ministry job that provided us with four of uh, the meals seven days a week, a regular weekly wage, a company car, a delightful cottage in the country, living uh, next to the creek, surrounded by the gum trees and wide open spaces. So peaceful and so opposite to the city life I had known my whole life. Once again, God had blessed us abundantly with his provision. So much so that I thought we could stay here forever. Boy, <laughs> was I wrong yet again. We had been at Wirraway for five and a half years and still loving it. At that particular time, I was attending a Bible study class known as BSF or Bible Study Fellowship. At this time, we were looking at Moses and the exodus of the Israelites. As I read and learnt um, how God was leading the Israelites with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night, for some strange reason, I started to feel God was saying, this is you. I sensed God was leading uh, me also to a new place. This, for me, was out of the blue. As I said, we were happy where we were and we were involved in a pretty dynamic ministry. I wanted to be certain that this was of God. So I only mentioned this to my sister-in-law and her response to me was, um, if it's God's will, then he would prompt Garth also. Good. I thought I was off the hook. <laughs> well, you guessed it. Garth got the prompting from God. It wasn't long after my phone call with my sister-in-law that Garth shared with me one night how he thought it was time to leave Wirraway. My beliefs had been confirmed and I shared the same desire with him. So we both sought God as to where. Mobile mission maintenance came to mind, but we both thought, no way. Firstly, this is a building ministry full of tradies, and for those of you who know Garth, know that he's got the gift of the gab and not the gift of his hands. He couldn't really build anything then. Secondly, MMM was a faith ministry. We were quite comfortable where we were receiving a wage every week. We both thought, God can't do that. It's funny, and we often say how quick we forget how many times God had provided in the past. Anyway, he wasn't letting me get away with that thought. Reading Exodus, God revealed to me he had provided manna and quail in the desert. He had given the Israelites water from a rock. And before the Israelites had left Egypt, the Egyptians had been given gold and silver because they were glad to see the Israelites go, and that provided the material for the tabernacle. Through the scriptures, God was reassuring me of his provision and his great 
ever-constant presence. I just needed to trust him. But at this point, (laughs) I wasn't totally convinced. Then came the clincher. One Sunday at a church service, an elder stood up and shared God had given him a vision. This was strange because we were going to a uniting church and this stuff didn't really happen that much. Anyway, he shared how silly he felt because he said the vision didn't really make any sense to him and he was a bit worried that it wasn't going to make any sense to anyone else either. Then it came out. His vision was that of a pile of manna with Jesus standing next to it. The elder knew nothing of my situation or the passage of scripture I'd been studying. But once he had shared this vision with me, I knew then it was time to pack up and join the ministry of MMM in Whittlesea, Victoria. MMM is an organisation that design, build, engineer, repair, paint, patch and generally make sure buildings and facilities are up to scratch so the ministries they support can get on with the vital work they are called to do by God. MMM serve those who serve. The staff are primarily tradesmen, so it didn't seem to make any sense as to how we could serve God within this ministry if Garth's only trade was being a butcher. Boy, was I wrong. There was a perfect position there for us within MMM to serve God. MMM had a department that took young people away on short-term mission trips to Aboriginal communities. This position didn't require any trade qualifications, um, just... Uh, just um, oops, sorry. Oh, anyway, as group leaders, we would um, facilitate um, visits to Aboriginal communities and expose young people to the mission work that other Christian groups were doing. Working alongside the missionaries involved anything from running a children's outreach school holiday program to helping paint a Sunday school building. Most of the young people went away with the expectation that they could teach others um, uh, how, but on their return, they were the ones that had learnt something. It was while we were away with a group from Melbourne on a mission awareness trip that we visited the Aboriginal community of Sherberg. This community is situated five kilometres from Mergen and has a population of 1,300 Aboriginals. We loved our job of working at MMM, and we both thought that we could stay there for a while. However, God had other ideas, and once again, we discovered God changing our direction. But I'll get um, Garth to share that with you. As Michelle said, we were on a MAT, a mission awareness tour, with a church from Melbourne. And we were visiting a town called Cherbourg. And we were there for four days. And we were leaving on the Sunday after church. 
And because we've, this was a bit of a different mission awareness tour we did. We took this group on different places. We went to Dubbo, um, we went to Fingal Head, we went to Boona, we went to Sherberg, we went to Sherwood Cliffs and everything like that. And I remember when we got to Sherberg, it was Auntie Ada said, does your group need any washing? Come up to her house and do some washing. And I said, all right, I'll get it all together and I'll come up tomorrow. And so I went up to her house on the Friday and her and a guy named Max Conlon were there who was caring for the church. And she said, I've got a question for you. And I said, yeah, what's the question? She said, would you come here and be pastor? And I said, what? She said, would you consider coming here and being pastor? I thought it was a really rude question because, number one, I was serving with MMM and I thought it was a really weird question. And I said, no, not in your life. And she said, why? Why not? Give me one good reason. I said, I don't need to give you one. I said, I'll give you three. I said to them, who in their right mind would bring um, children into this community? I said, I've got two young white girls. Who would bring them into this environment? And I said, number two is I was working for MMM. I said, that's my calling. That's where I am. I said, it's a bit rude to just up and leave and do that. And I said, number three, my wife is extremely close to her family. I said, it was hard enough moving her from Adelaide to Melbourne. I said, imagine her moving from Melbourne to Queensland. And so I left Aunty Ada's house. And then our plan was we were attending church and we were then leaving Sherberg. The speaker that morning was a guy named Barry Potter. And Barry Potter got up and spoke. And he said, normally he does a sermon, but today he's not. He said, I'm just going to share stories with you today. And he said, I want to share the time how me and my wife ended up in Japan. He said, I remember when I was approached to go to Japan with SIL, I thought, no way known would I ever go to Japan. He said, because I had two young kids. He said, I didn't want to take my kids to Japan. That's a whole different culture and this, that and the other. And he said, and this time, I think it was Wycliffe. He said, I was working for Wycliffe. And he said, why, why would I leave Wycliffe to go to SIL? And obviously my stomach is starting to turn and I start to feel sick. And you guessed it. And the last thing he said, he said, I never wanted to go to Japan because he said, I didn't want to take my wife away from her family. And anyway, he just shared those stories. And then the tradition was that the pastor at Sherberg would always go to the back. They hadn't f even finished the last song and I got up and I took off down the back and I walked up to him and I said, have you been speaking to anyone from this church this week? No. I said, don't lie. I said, you, have you been speaking to anyone from the church this week? And he said, no. He said, why, who are you? <laughs> and I said, my name's Garth and I'm the leader here. And, and I explained to him exactly what I just said to you, what happened on that Thursday. And he says, well, young man, he says, I promise you two things. Two things. He says, Number one, I promise you that I've not spoken to anyone from this church, but I promise you you've got something to pray about. Because he said, he says, there's a verse in Proverbs, lean not on your own, on your own, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he said the key word for him is all. He said we have to really consider what does it mean to consider all our ways. Well, anyway, we were meant to have lunch, but I wasn't having lunch in Cherbourg. I was getting out as quick as possible. So I said to the group, I said, oh, look, we better make a move. And anyway, we, 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 we were driving out and um, we had only got from here to the doorway in the bus and 
Max come banging on the bus wall and he said, hey, Guff, he said, you, got the, you still got the keys for the manse? Because we were staying in the manse. I said, oh, yeah, sorry, Max. And he said, oh, it must be a sign, eh? <laughs> and I just, oh. So anyway, part of the thing we did is we trained people in how to give devotions before we went. We wanted someone from the group to lead a devotion every day. Well, you wouldn't believe it. All of these are prepared probably before we go away. We still had five nights on that MAT with two different places. Four of the five nights, the people said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but my devotion's on Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And I remember I kept saying, God, you're meant to be challenging and calling these people. I've already left. I've already done everything. So we eventually got home to Whittlesea and Michelle said to me, Garth, should we be praying about Sherberg? And I said, no. And I said, I said, look, we don't even know anything about the school. I said, imagine going to a place like that not knowing anything about the school. Anyway, it was the next day, a friend of ours from, um, that we'd taken on another MAT named Robin from Ballarat Church of Christ, she rang us and she said, oh, you just got back from an MAT, didn't you? I said, yeah. She said, did you just go to Cherbog? I said, what? Cherbog? I said, no, no. She said, the Aboriginal place. Didn't you go to an Aboriginal place in Queensland? Cherbog? I said, oh, Sherberg? She said, yeah, yeah, that's it. She said, um, she said, I'm just ringing up to let you know they're doing a special on TV tomorrow. I said, what do you mean? She said, they're doing a TV on the special because the principal's just won Queensland a year. They're doing a special on the school. And I just said, oh, yuck. People say, I wish God would speak to me. I think, no, you don't. So it was then and there that we prayed and we knew that it was time to pack up and go to Sherbrooke. Yeah, but let me tell you, it wasn't an easy decision. Um, I still had great concerns about taking our uh, two girls who were aged nine and ten um, at the time into that kind of environment. And uh, like Garth said, you know, um, what about their schooling and, you know, how are they going to grow up? But still uh, seeking um, guidance on a pretty life-changing decision, Garth and, and I spoke with a mentor about our move to Sherberg. I remember uh, we went to him with the question, what if we take our girls to Sherberg and they're raped? And, um, but, well, his wise... <laughs> Godly response to us was, what if you take the girls to Sherberg and they are raped and brutally bashed? Has the God of love and grace you know now changed? I'm still not totally convinced, but this was a good idea. My worries and concerns about Samantha and Zoe were still very real, but in my heart of hearts, I knew it was time to move to Sherberg. It's funny, going to Sherberg was one, yeah, one of the hardest decisions we'd ever had to make as a family, so much so I've written it down here twice. <laughs> we painted all these scenarios in our heads of what it would be like and how hard it was going to be. Yet, 
from the very moment we arrived at Sherberg, my whole family were treated like celebrities. My girls were the only white kids in the school and got an enormous amount of adoring attention from their fellow classmates. They had no trouble fitting in. And it was because everybody wanted to be their friend and know all about them. Being the only white family in the community and the new pastor of the church, we were like put up on a pedestal by the community. The whole community, even those that didn't follow God, had an utmost respect for us and um, they wouldn't even swear in front of us. And I remember one day Garth was holding a fundraiser barbecue in front of the church when a mother and a child came along to buy a burger. The boy was swearing profusely at his mother. The mother apologised to Garth for her boy's swearing and told the boy that he shouldn't do it in front of the pastor. Garth was stunned. You know, it wasn't him that the boy should be apologising to, but it really should have been the mother. By the time three years had passed, we were well and truly part of the Aboriginal culture and community. My two girls spoke with an Aboriginal accent, walked everywhere barefooted, and had been adopted by three women to be their daughters. I had one boy feel sorry for me because I only had daughters and no sons. So he offered to be my son and he'd always call me mum. It got to the point that one day at school, all the children um, received a bag full of goodies because it was NAIDOC day. And one um, girl questioned the teacher as to why Samantha didn't get one, because she's Aboriginal. There were countless times when Samantha would prove to us that she no longer belonged to us, but instead she was a Sherberg girl and belonged to the whole community. Wherever she got into trouble, she would just take off into the community to countless other people's homes attempting to escape punishment. Eventually, I'd track her down, but it got extremely difficult to put boundaries in place according to our white culture and our white way of thinking, especially when you live in an Aboriginal community. In an Aboriginal community, they're not bound by time, routines and schedules like we are. They run to their own time and they happily call that Murray time, which means whenever. <laughs> They are not bound to having possessions of their own. In fact, what belongs to me belongs to everyone. I can walk into my sister's house and help myself to whatever's in her fridge and her cupboards. They are not bound to household budgets like we are. If they don't have enough money for petrol or bills, or even though they just got paid yesterday, that's okay, because you can just go up and ask someone for some money and they don't even expect to be repaid. At times, it can be a very stress-free way to, to live. However, I felt that as Samantha was reaching the age of 13, I, as her mother, was losing my opportunity 
to influence her teenage years. On numerous occasions, I thought about homeschooling her, <laughs> but our personalities weren't compatible. Samantha <laughs> was like a social butterfly and she thought going to school was all about lunchtime and hanging out with her friends. Another solution was to send her to boarding school, but I couldn't do this because not only would I miss her too much, <laughs> but I believed it was my responsibility to look after her until she was ready to leave home. There didn't seem to be any real solution to the problem until one day, out of the blue, we received a phone call from Tagulawa Baptist Church and they were asking Garth to speak at one of their men's weekends. And Tagulawa, as you know, is a small country town in Queensland. How they got his name and number is still quite a mystery to this day. Anyway, Garth accepted the invitation to speak and share with the men, and funnily enough, Tugulua was looking for a pastor. This seemed like the answer to our prayers. So we came and checked out the church manse, both the primary and the high school, and had an interview with the pastoral search committee, and we were accepted for the job. Garth and I have completed 15 years of ministry in Tagorua, the longest time anywhere, <laughs> with countless testimonies to God's glory in that time. Also during this time, both Samantha and Zoe graduated year 12 at Tagorua High School and moved away from Tagorua to further their education. Samantha became a childcare worker and she now lives in Adelaide with her husband Grant, who's an electrician, and she's expecting our first child, or our, her first child and our first grandchild in May. And after completing her uni degree in journalism, Zoe and her husband Matt moved to Chinchilla um, to work for News Corp, but during COVID, um, that put a stop to a lot of the country newspapers, so she lost her job. She saw this, though, as a blessing and um, a complete career change. She now works in out-of-hours care and for Auskick. Her husband, Matt, is a teacher aide at a small primary school um, 25 kilometres outside Chinchilla, and... Just this week, they've signed a contract on their first home. This brings us up to date. Well, almost. Now God um, has brought us here with you. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> but I will let um, Garth share those details with you on how we ended up here. I promised I would share this as well one day. Well, today is that day. I love my life in Tagulawa. I love the country town. I was very well known around the town. I had three or four jobs. I had a couple of jobs in the high school. I drove school buses and also I was the pastor of the Baptist church. I knew I'd got the church as far as it could go. The church needed new blood. And I've seen when pastors hold on to stuff just because they just want to wait for something else and sadly it can do damage. I never wanted to do that to the church in Tagulawa. 
So Garth's plan was this. I was going to quit my job, and I did. I handed in my resignation to Dugulabar Baptist Church, and I was going to focus on my bus driving and also on my schoolwork. It was Queensland Baptists that came up to me, and they rang me, and they came out and visited me, and they said, Garth, they said, we truly believe you've got a pastoral heart. You're a great pastor. I said, I know. <laughs> That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I said, I'm still going to be a pastor on the bus. I'm still going to be a pastor in the school, you know. I'm still going to be a pastor to the town. And they said, yeah, but, but what about church? They said, we really believe this is your gifting and you really should consider something. They said, look, there's this church in Melbourne called Druin. They're looking for a pastor. Would you consider applying? I said, no. They said, please. I said, oh, okay. So I sent off my resume and stuff to Druin. Lo and behold, someone in Druin happened to know me. And so they rang me. They said, Garth, why are you applying for this? I said, because Queensland Baptist asked me to. They said, Garth, you would be a square peg in a round hole here. They said, it just won't fit. You really shouldn't apply. And I said, look, it doesn't matter. I said, just leave it there and see how the tables fall. Anyway, it was two weeks later, he gave me a call and he said, Garth, he said, you didn't even get an interview. I said, no worries. I said, that's good. So Garth can go back to do what Garth wanted to do. Just before I hung up the phone, he said, Garth, he said, I have a question for you. He says, have you thought about Packenham? I said, what's a Packenham? <laughs> and he said, Packenham's a church just down the road. He said, they're looking for a pastor. And he says, I know you. And he says, I think you'd be very suited. And I said, nah, nah, I'm not interested. I said, I just going to stay here and, you know, live my life. He said, well, can you send your stuff off to them? And I said, no. Nah. And he said, well, can I? I said, you can do what you want. I said, not going to make any difference. And he said, so I'll send the stuff off. And he said, can I send you the job description? Apparently you must have it out on your website or something. And the church profile. I said, David, you can do what you want. It's not going to make a difference. So he did. And anyway, I got your job description and your profile. And it was over praying about that for two weeks. I looked at it and I highlighted stuff. And I started to get dare I say, a little bit excited. And I thought, yeah, this is something that really tugged at my heart and I started to share it with Michelle. And so we never planned to pursue this. We never planned to come here. But it was only thanks to someone else stepping in, God using someone else, that we arrived here. Are we thankful? We are extremely thankful. Are we excited? We are extremely excited. Do we pray for you? We have to pray for you because you've ended up with the Nielsens. <laughs> so from the wife of a butcher to the wife of a pastor, God has been faithful. And when I think about the faithfulness of uh, God in my life and the ministry, I think John Samus put it best with his words from the classic hymn. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who, will, who trust and obey. Sorry, I'm singing it in my head, <laughs> but I can't sing. Uh, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So that's our journey. I hope by Michelle and I sharing our story with you, it's getting a, giving you a better understanding of who we are, a better understanding of our heartbeat for ministry, 
a better understanding of why we do what we do, a better understanding of how we are likely to work here in Pakenham. But as much as it gives you a better understanding of us, I hope it encourages you and gives you a better understanding of God because that's why we share what we share. I hope today you don't see how special or talented or gifted or blessed we are. I hope that you see what a difference a mighty God has made in our life and you can see what difference a mighty God can make in your life. In our lives, God has led us on an incredible journey, a journey that we've just shared with you, a journey where we've had the privilege to serve him in many different places and in many different scenarios. But now we are serving here at Pakenham Baptist Church. Again, this is a new ministry for Michelle and I. Sure, I've been a pastor for the past 18 years with a couple of different churches, but being a pastor here will be different than any of those. I am fully aware that because of the number of people in this church, my role here at Pakenham Baptist Church will involve more church ministry work than any other church that I've worked in before and less community. Last week we had our commissioning service and I said in my message last week that I really have a desire to not only start well in my ministry here, but I have a desire to continue and finish well. You know, this is something I think and I pray about a lot every day. And I want to say, whenever I think about the ministry that I'm involved in here, sometimes it does my head in. <laughs> I look at other situations in life where a business will get a new CEO or a sporting club will get a new coach. When this happens, sometimes the business club can go forward in leaps and bounds. Other times, though, the business or club can go from bad to worse quite quickly with new leadership. Well, I want to say to you today, we are not a business. We are not even a club. I want to highlight something. We are a church. We are a church. But you know, the fact that we're a church is what does my head in when I think about how do you lead and grow a church ministry well. Now, some of you may instantly think it'd be easy to lead and grow a church. Well, let me tell you it's not. In fact, I know many people have said leading a church is one of the hardest things you can be called to do. Why? Why do they say that? Why do I and others say leading a church is one of the hard things we can do? Well, for me, it's all tied up with this question. What is church? Do you know, I'm starting a series today, and it's a bit shorter today, and we're going to look at church. Today I'm looking at what is church. And then next week I'm starting a series from the book of Acts and looking at the early church and looking at what are some of the characteristics of a growing church. But today, I want us to think about what is church? If I was to ask you, what's the purpose of a butcher shop, a hairdresser or a school, chances are you would all give me the same answer. I mean, if I happen to see you working in, walking into a butcher shop, I'm probably safe in saying you're not going there to buy a computer. Well, what if I was to went around the room and asked you this question, what's the purpose of church? Do you know, 
if I did that, even though we all attend the same church, even though we all attend church regularly, I still think I would get different answers to that question from you guys sitting here today. What's the purpose of church? That's why leading a church is hard. People say being a pastor is hard because of the people. People are great. People are fantastic. The hard bit is what is church? What do, where, do, where does church fit in? You know, this is for me is one of the most interesting questions we can ask ourselves. What comes to mind or your mind when you think of church? Or more importantly, what comes to your mind when you think of what's the purpose for this church? For some it's teaching, for some it's fellowship, for some it's hospitality, and God brings all these people together. If I was to ask you or someone stopped you in the street and said, why on earth do you go to church? How would you answer that? Do you go to church for joy? Do you go to church because your parents have dragged you here and it's a chore? Do you go to church because you're worried that if you miss, someone's going to ring you up? Do you go to church for judgmental reasons? Church conjures up all different types, thoughts and feelings for different people. I mean, if is church for believers or is church for non-believers? Matthew Henry once said church would be one of the only organisations in the world that is set up for its non-members. When it comes to church, I've heard many comments. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You can be a Christian and never go to church. Other people say churches are nothing but full of hypocrites. They are people that say one thing and do the others. So with thoughts and comments like these, I guess it's no surprise when I did the subject of church and ministry at college, one of the tutorial questions that we had to present to the class was answer, what is church? What is church? What is the purpose of church? When I did this tutorial, I was surprised at what I found. Hardly ever in the New Testament do we really see the church pictured as what we see the church as in our Western world today. However, even with that said, one point came out very strong with all the study I did for my tutorial, a point that should be no surprise to all of us. The doctrine of the church is a central part of the Christian truth. The church is important in God's plans for teaching and encouraging the saved, but it's also important in God's plan for teaching the lost and reaching the lost. You know, the church has one major difference than most of all of our other Christian doctrine. You can look at any Christian doctrine you want and the church Christian doctrine, there is one major difference. There is one thing that sets the church apart from almost everything else in Christian theology. So much of Christian theology is unseen to the world. However, the church is the most visible part of our Christian theology to the lost. So if this is true, then you understand the church is vitally connected with every aspect of our Christian faith, our Christian belief and our Christian life. That's why it's so important to understand what is church? What is the purpose of church? The fact our Christian life and the life of the church are so connected, we can assume something. And it is this. A healthy church produces a healthy gospel. A distorted church produces a distorted gospel. I know a big struggle for Michelle and I in all our moves in the past has been finding a new church. Not sure if you've ever had this problem, 
But when you go to a church, what do you look for? What do you look for in a church? When Michelle and I went, we tended to look at things like, were we welcomed? What was the singing and songs like? What was the sermon like? What's, what's the church's focus in the community? Now, I came to learn there is one major problem with this type of approach in trying to analyse a church. And the major problem is this. Garth, you are so limited in what you can see. We can only see the life of the church from the inside. Because of this, it's hard for us to evaluate a church and its ministry. Only the true head or cornerstone of the church can do this because he sees internally. So a starting point in seeing any church or answering the question, what is church, you must realise the most important thing in any church isn't the pastor, it isn't the leaders, it isn't the singing, it isn't the preaching. I believe the most important thing in any church should be this. What position does the cornerstone of the church have? What role does he play in the church? What about the church in Scripture? As I said before, it's interesting, not too often in the New Testament do we really see the church pictured in the way we see it. Well, what's even more interesting is when you look at the church in Scripture, when it comes to the Old Testament, you don't find the word church in there at all. Nowhere. It is not anywhere in the Old Testament. However, it is from the Old Testament that we get our theology of church. You see, it is an essence of God's eternal plan has always been the same. God's got a plan and it's never really changed. What plan am I talking about? God's desire to display his glory to the world. That's his plan. He wants people to know I'm a God that loves them and cares for them and wants to reach them. What the Old Testament teaches us is this. His glory is not just displayed through individuals. It is always displayed through a corporate body. We see this pattern all throughout the Old Testament. In creation, God created not one person but two, and they had the ability to produce more. In the flood, God didn't save one person. He saved a few families. In Genesis 12, God calls Abram and promises Abram's descendants will be numerous as the stars and the sands on the seesaw. In Exodus, God deals not only with Moses but with the nation of Israel. Twelve tribes composed of hundreds of thousands of people, yet these thousands of people were all bearing one corporate identity. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he gives laws and ceremonies that should be lived out and followed, not only the lives of individuals but the lives of the whole community. Why? To reflect the glory of God. Then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we continue to see that God works in the nation of Israel as a whole corporate body. He gives them what he has so they take it out. A corporate body has been chosen in the Old Testament to display his glory. It is in the New Testament the people of God are called the name church for the first time. That word comes, we get a word from a Greek word, which is ecclesias. I'm sure you are all aware that in our modern society, the church is probably most used to describe buildings or denominations. However, the Greek word is never used in that way. The word is used 115 times in our New Testament, but it is used to describe more than gatherings of Christians. In fact, it has three reasons. It is used to talk about Christians meeting universally, local, and also other meetings that aren't Christians. But... When you look at the church in scripture and you take it together as a whole, you come up with something. 
the examples of community of the Old Testament, the meaning of the Greek word ecclesia in the New Testament, Scripture presents us with a rich theology of church. But Scripture also reveals the church is deeper than that. When it comes to the church, there is one major point of the church that connects the dots, so to speak, from the Old Testament to the New. This connection is the richest thing we now have in the church. The connection is Jesus Christ. Taken together in Scripture, we are presented with the truth. Christ is the fulfilment of all Israel prophets and what all the Old Testament points to. So the church and Jesus. The New Testament church is Christ's body. The church is the body of people called by God's grace through Christ to glorify him together by serving him in their world. Because of Jesus, the church is a new creation. The church is the true fellowship of the people of God. And it is in that fellowship as the people of God, we've basically signed a contract. Christians have accepted and entered into the rule of God, the sovereign rule of God. That's what the church is. The church is made up of people who belong to his kingdom. He is their king and they come together and they accept and obey the rule of God. So if I could paraphrase this even more, sorry, I just bumped the button again. The church is made up of people who've committed their life to God in Jesus Christ as their ruler. In their devotion to God as a church, they've been called to be separated from the world and to be living a loving union with each other. This is all done to reflect the glory of God. I believe from a biblical standpoint, this is what the church is. I believe God gives us the church with his purpose in mind. This gives us an understanding to why so many on the outside don't understand the church. They don't get it. Why? They would say the church is out of touch. The church is a second-rate thing. The church has no purpose, no relevance anymore. The reason they think that is because they've not committed themselves to God in Christ. They don't know what we follow. It is foolishness to them. But once they accept Christ as their ruler, they get it. However, God created the church with a, with a purpose in mind. We need to rediscover the truth. We need to realise we are a church that God has established. And we need to realise everyone has a purpose within that establishment. Everything we do and bring to the life of this church has a purpose and is worthwhile. That's why I said at the start, church is important in God's plan and we must understand it. The doctrine of church is a central part to Christian truth. The church is the most visible part of our Christian theology to a lost world. A healthy church produces a healthy gospel. A distorted church produces a distorted gospel. I've been in churches that produced a distorted gospel and no one wins. And the last thing. Sorry. The church in you. Probably the hardest point. As I said, the church is made up of people who have been called to be separated from the world, committed their lives to God and made Christ their ruler. In their devotion to God as the church, they have a living, loving union with one another and this is also always done to reflect the glory of God. Let me ask you, if that's the role or purpose of the church, 
How are you going at that? Have you committed your life to God and accepted him as your ruler? Have you separated yourself from the world? Do you have a living, loving union with him and with one another in the body of Christ? How do you go at reflecting the glory of God? Honestly, answering these questions will help us understand what your role is in church. It will help you in answering the question, what's the purpose of church? What's the purpose of church for you? Why do you come? In my interview with the partial search committee, I was asked, what do I believe is the role of the church? For me, my answer is this, and I've always said this. For me, the role of the church can be fitted into three categories, equipping, empathy, and evangelism. Today, I want us to look at the real picture of our church and ask yourselves the hard question, what do you do or what do you bring to add to these purposes? What do you bring to this church to help with equipping, to help with empathy and to help with evangelism? Or an even bigger question we can ask ourselves is can a church or us achieve our purpose if we're only contributing 90 minutes a week to the life of a church? God has called all of us to be a church and to serve together. Questions to ask yourself, am I doing my part? Am I a part of this church? Am I helping carry the load? Am I spending time listening and supporting other believers in this church? Am I investing my time, my efforts in accomplishing his mission in this church? Am I willing to let him work through me not only on Sundays but every day in my commitment and to help the people of God in this church? I'm not sure if you've ever read any John Maxwell's books. I like John Maxwell. But he wrote a book on leadership and he says, when it comes to church, the church is made up of four main bones. These are his bones. This isn't me, this is him. And he says, the first bone is a wishbone. The church has people that sit there wishing someone else would do something about so many problems. They just wish one day something will happen. He says they're also made up of jawbones. They're the people that do a lot of talking, but they do very little else. He said there are people there that are knuckle bones. Those are the ones who want to knock everything, sometimes even to the point of fighting. They go there to stir up trouble. And then he says there's the backbones. Those who carry out the brunt of the load and do most of the work. Do you know... John Maxwell used to say every organisation in the world has a 20-80 principle. 20% of people will cause 80% of your problems. 20% of people will do 80% of the work. He now believes it's 1090. 10% of people in any organisation or any church or anything, he says, 10% of people will do 90% of your work. Everyone here today has a chance to make a difference in the life of Packenham Baptist Church. So you've got to ask yourself, which bone are you? I mentioned last week, I'm not here as a Lone Ranger. God has called me here to be part of a team. Like Paul from those verses read out before by Jesse, I do thank God for our partnership in the gospel together. Like Paul, I'm confident that he who began a good work in us as a church will carry it on to completion. 
And like Paul, it is my prayer that our love may abound more and more. But remember, it's not just a touchy-feely kind of love. Paul prays a love that grows in knowledge. That's equipping. I pray that a love that grows in depth, that's empathy. And I pray for a love that grows in insight of a chief cornerstone of the church. That's evangelism. Why? All for the glory and praise of God. As I said, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be continuing this topic on church. I'm going to be doing a series looking at the early church and consider what makes a growing church. And then after that, it'll be a while away, but I'm going to go back to the Old Testament because, as I said before, you look for Jesus on every page. And I think one of the best, there's a great book of Ruth. And I'm going to preach through the book of Ruth. And we're going to look at how do we see that in the life of Ruth. But I hope and pray that you're not only challenged and encouraged, but you will look at the life of this church and think, it's not about us as such. Sure, we come together, but it's about out there. How do we reflect the glory of God as a church? And let me tell you, I think by watching online, by listening to pods during the week, by being committed, by coming, you're already halfway home because you're showing people that it's important to you. That's how you reflect the glory of God in your life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, um, I just thank you for not only this church but for every church. There are people around that come together that meet with you. We thank you for the examples in the Old Testament, how you chose a group of people to reflect your glory, and that's still the case today. Jesus, I thank you that you walk this earth. I thank you that you taught people, and I thank you that you are the bride of the church. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you now live in every one of us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'll be the one to point us to the cornerstone. I ask protection for us as a church. I pray that Satan won't have any hold, that, that he won't come in and destroy things. But, Father, I pray that we will have unity, that we will grow in knowledge and love with each other. Father, I thank you for everyone that's watching online. I thank you for everyone that's here in this building because you've called them. You've called them to be a part of this mighty community that you call church. And I pray that we will be a blessing to you and we will honour you with this church. In Jesus' mighty name.